Friday night story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a certain, I have a specific. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I apologize for that. Okay, Parshas Kisisa is one of the longest Parshas in the Hochomish. It is not the longest. Okay, the longest one, anybody know which is the longest Parsha? Parshas Nusso. Parshas Nusso is going to be the longest Parsha. Um, Parshas Kisisa is quite up there on the count. Uh, maybe it has like, 135 psukim or 140. You could check it out exactly. Um, uh, the one of the very notable things, Parsha Kisisa, it starts chapter 30, verse 11. If you're looking for it, um, one of the very notable notable things about Parsha Kisisa is how unevenly it's distributed. Okay, if you open up a chumash, if you have Parsha Kisisa, it's in Shmos chapter 30, verse 11. You will notice that the first aliyah goes on forever. And the second aliyah goes on for almost forever. I think the first 90 verses of the, of the Parsha are the first two Torah readings. Okay. And then like all the other Torah readings are just like four verses, four verses, four verses. I got to divide it up, you know, carefully. Now, um, it's an interesting conversation. It's not a long conversation, but it's a little conversation. Um, the... Right? Oh my gosh, yeah, I like it just it. keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So so uh, one of the conversations that that is offered on this you know, in this division or this uneven division is that anybody know what is one of the uh this parsha has a ton of stuff in it, but what's a biggie in this parsha? Anybody know what's a biggie, huh? Golden calf. Golden calf is going to be like a big story that takes place in this parsha. And so the way the the way the aliyahs are divided is that golden calf comes out in the portion of Levi, because after the golden calf debacle, isn't it such a good word? Debacle, such a good word. Um, when Moshe said, "Who is you know who's on the God team?" So the Torah tells us that all of the tribe of Levi was on that team and was you know was on the on the God side and not on the having been involved in the in the golden calf situation. So when we so so the aliyahs are divided up so that a Levite gets the golden calf. So it's nobody's like, oh, I know why you got that Torah portion, you know, because it doesn't relate to them. They're, they for sure didn't. They for sure were not part of this. They get to say it because they 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 get called up for that aliyah because it's a really bad story and we don't do this and we don't call people up and you know like call somebody up you know who you know to, to shame them by the what's going to be in their parsha but at the same time there's a certain an extra sensitivity to the so nobody's like oh yeah i know why you got called up for this tour portion because this is like your motto you know golden calf situation so we can't we ha- we give this aliyah to to a Levite who was not at all involved with that. Um, the other interesting thing, and therefore, because the golden calf happens kind of to the middle of the Parsha, so basically you have half the Parsha divided into two aliyahs, and all the rest of it is like a bunch of little aliyahs on the side. Mm-hmm. Now, the other interesting thing, ugh, tripping over my words already, the, under, uh, the other interesting thing about Parsha Kisisa is that it has a ton of events. There's like a lot of stuff happening here. So if we were to do, as we usually do, give an overview of everything that's happening in the Parsha, we're not going to have any time. 
So I'm going to give you a couple of highlights, but just know that there are a lot of other things that are going on. We're going to talk about some of the things that I mentioned, some things we're not going to mention, but there's a lot of stuff going on. The first thing that we're going to talk about, and we're going to get back to this afterwards, is the counting of the census that was done for the Jewish people or of the Jewish people that was done by the half shekel. We're going to get back to that conversation. We have a conversation about, um, we have an, a conversation about the making of the kiar, which we spoke about last week the wash basin that the Kohanim washed their hands and feet before they did the service. We're not going to get into it in great detail here. We're going to mention one interesting thing um, is that anybody know what was the kior made of? Everything in the, in the, in the Mishkan is made of gold and silver, and, right? It's made of the copper mirrors. Okay. It's made, of, it was made of copper and the donation was given that when, when they said, let's build, we're building a house for God. Everybody bring something. So the women brought their mirrors and Moshe said, what am I going to do with the mirrors? Like, vanity, what am I going to do with the mirrors? And Hashem said, not only are you going to take those mirrors, but you are going to make that the vessel by which the Kohana will be purified from these mirrors. Because the, without these mirrors, we would have no Jewish people to be redeemed because the Lachobish the, talks about, the, the Medrash talks about how the women use the mirrors to essentially seduce their husbands who were so tired and so worn out from the exile and so broken from the work to say, there's going to be a redemption and we need to have a nation to be redeemed. And that's our job. We need to like, you know, we need to do this. And that's really what they were using the mirrors and where Moshe looked at it and was like, eh, how does that fit into the house of God? Um, Hashem was like, no, this absolutely fit into the house of God. And that is what the Kohanim are going to purify their hands and feet with before they do their service. Another interesting little tidbit about the Kiar, it is the only item in the, in the Mishkan that sparkled. It didn't just, it wasn't just there, but it sparkled. There was something very shiny and beautiful about it. Could we say, because the women kept polishing, I mean, we look at a mirror today and we're like, oh, it's, but it's not. It's like literally a piece of copper that's going to poorly reflect your image. And, you know, it's not going to be like this, this perfect mirror like we know today. So you have to keep polishing it and keep shining it. But the effect was that it was the only item that actually sparkled, which I think is pretty nifty, kind of cool. Okay. Um, and then we talk about making the oil for anointing. They wash their hands and feet with. And um, we talk, they're going to talk about the, making the oil to anoint all the uh, vessels and the kings of Israel and special spices. We have the kitoris. We have the discussion of the kitoris, the incense, all the spices that can make, get, get put together for that. This still, we didn't even get halfway through our first aliyah. A lot of stuff going on. Another thing that goes on over here, and I want to stop here. What is the Katoris over here? Oh, no, here it is. Sorry. Chapter 31 starts off that Hashem says to Moshe that, Look, I have called to Betzalel, the son of Uri, the son of Chor, from the tribe of Yehuda. I will fill him with the, with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge everything to be able to do everything and he is going to be the architect of the mishkan the tal is going to be the architect of the mishkan okay and then hashem said and with him is going to be ohaliah the son of achisamach from the tribe of dan so we're going to have somebody from the tribe of yehuda we're going to have somebody from the tribe of dan parenthetical random information is that the art school in israel is called anybody know Betzal, the Betzal Institute of Art, because Betzal was the architect of the Mishkan. So I thought that's also kind of interesting. Um, What's the street named after the art center? Or 
art center and then the street? The art center came first, oh. I believe. Um, and I'm sure that lots of lots of cities in Israel have uh, have streets called Betzal, but maybe not. I don't know. It's on. It's actually the art center is now on between like Betzal, the street, and the side it's over the. It's not on Betzal. It's on. It's on on Hanagid, Hanagid, but it's probably parted at once. You know, did touch that way. I don't know exactly. Um, I want to say a couple of things about Betzal. First of all. If we're going to do the math, Betzalel is the son of Uri, the son of Chor, and Chor is the son of Miriam. Okay? Tori doesn't count it here. Later on, we're going to have that. Chor is the son of Miriam. How old is Miriam when they leave Egypt? Miriam's a little older than Moshe. She's a couple of years older than Moshe. I think she's five or six years older than Moshe. Moshe's 81. He's 80 when he stands in front of Pharaoh. Ten months of plagues. He's about 80. 81 when they leave Egypt. So how old is Miriam? 85. No, she's probably five or six years. She's 85, 86. Okay. Ori, Miriam, Ori, Chor, Betzalel. That's in 86 years. You have enough generations to have somebody to have to have somebody who's old enough to build the temple. And what's interesting is that the the, the, the sages tell us that Betzalel was about 13 years old when he was given this job description. Yeah. Okay. He wasn't a 25 year old. He didn't have time to be a 25 year old. His great grandmother was 86. Right. So they count. I think the highest age they get for Betzalel is that he's 13 years old. Um, so first of all, I want to say don't discount children. <laughs> Just because they're little doesn't mean that they're not capable of doing incredible, amazing things. That's first of all. The other thing, which is an interesting conversation, I think it's relevant for us in our conversation of like, how does this, you know, how does it speak to me? So the Torah tells us that I called in the name of Betzalo to, you know, to this. And, and the sages say like, when did that happen? When, did Hashem, when do we hear Hashem called Betzalo and saying, build me a house, build me a house, right? Where did that come up? And, and so one of the conversations that goes on was that the fact that Betzalel had the talent to do it was proof that he was called. And, and for us, I think it's very important that the things that we have talents in are not just random happenstance. We have talents because Hashem is calling us and saying, build a home for me with your talent. Your talent could be lots of things. It doesn't necessarily have to be that you have the talent to build up, you know, a house for God, however big or small, but in whatever way we live our lives, we are in effect building a home for God. I think that's very, very important things for us to, for us to think about, for us to, 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 to realize that if we have the ability then someplace there's a need for us to use that ability in order to uh, do something people and come, you know, build a home for God and whatever, all of that kind of stuff. Um, okay, we're going to, uh, can we have a golden calf? Other things that go on in the Parsha, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have the, the 13 attributes of mercy. Hashem's going to give it to Moshe in this Parsha. There's like a lot of stuff going on. We don't have time to go through everything. I'm sorry, because we have a couple of things that we have to, we have uh, Moshe having the second, the whole second Luchos situation is going to happen in this Parsha. Um, lots of stuff going on over here. Okay. 
um, Beseder. I want to focus on two things. If we have time, we'll do some more. But if we don't, at least we'll have gotten to two. Okay. The first thing that I want to kind of look at a little bit is um, is 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 the golden calf. Um, it's kind of like it's like a big thing. It's a really big thing, right? Um, the people had revelation, one and only time revelation, forty days before. This is not like an old forgotten memory. This is like, not like, oh, I heard this from my great, great grandparents and they were there and they saw. This isn't even like, oh, this happened to me five years ago. This is 40 days after revelation, the one and only time God is going to come down and say, hello, I'm here. This is my world. Let's, you know, do something together. I mean, totally paraphrasing God, obviously he didn't say that. Um, uh, so 40 days uh, pass. Moshe, Moshe, you know, went up. It's the second Aliyah starts over here. And chapter 32 starts that the, the people see that Moshe is delaying and coming back. Okay. And Rashi tells us that they miscalculated by a very short amount of time. Moshe went up in the morning and the people started counting 40 days. But what do we know about a Jewish day? Second. Starts at night. So how much time were they missing? Six hours, 12 hours. They couldn't have been missing that much time. Right, they, they count 40 days and Moshe's not back. And the Medrash has all these stories about how the Sutton shows them of you know, Moshe looks like he's dead, lying on a bed, and people are starting to freak out and they're all like nervous. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna go? Blah blah blah. Is he right? So the people come to Aaron. And here's an interesting thing to think about for a second. When Moshe goes up the mountain, he said essentially to Aaron and to Hor. We'll find out about this later. Like, I'm going up the mountain. I'll be back in 40 days. Take care of the people, right? When the people see that Moshe doesn't come back, they don't go to Aaron and say, Aaron, could you, could you be our leader? Could you direct us? Could you, like, show us where to go? It's an interesting thing, no? Like, it's kind of, wouldn't he be the next choice? Instead, you're going to have this random... Calf off, you know, literally, you know, calf off the street. You know, like that was better than Aaron. Aaron, a known, proven kind of person. Um, and and some of the commentators talk about the idea that, like, the the fact that he was known was a deficit. They they'd seen him all these years in Egypt. The fact that he was a leader and he was a person was kind of um. Yeah, meaning one of the things they talk about why that Moshe, we know Moshe was gone for, for his whole growing up time. He was raised in the palace and then he was gone for eight years and he comes back. So it's like, oh, he could be the redeemer. Like we didn't see him like growing up and all this. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not be too familiar. And I'm not saying that Aaron was like, you know, you know, the class clown or not be like doing any kind of whatever, but it was, it was too familiar. Aaron was too familiar to them. And so when Moshe delays, they don't go to Aaron and say, hey, could you be, could you be our, our leader? They, they go to, they, they try to figure out what the next thing to do is. Um, <laughs> huh? It's, 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 it's like a little bit interesting, no? It's like a weird thing. But to, to very, for very young, meaning he wasn't, in, he wasn't interacting with the people. But that's what I'm saying. Like he was, 
he grew up royal and a mitzvah, so he had no, no, he had no connection with them. And, and, the, and they actually talk about the fact that Moshe, um, growing up in the palace gives him the spine to confront Pharaoh. This is like, he knows his way around this place. This is, you know, I know how to get to the kitchen. I know how to, where we used to play hide and seek. Like, this is my, this is my hunting grounds. I know this place. Like, so when he comes to the, when he comes to the palace, he's not awed by the palace because he knows it. He grew up in the palace and he also knows how we behave and how we do. And he wasn't coming like, oh, please let me in, you know, like, like a slave coming in and, and begging for mercy. He was like, totally royalty. But in those two factors, also give Moshe the, it's not a good word, but like the mystique, mm-hmm. like that you could be the leader, right. right? Where Aaron doesn't have that. Like we know Aaron. So interesting though, because it, it, it shows a light on like the way we view the leadership as like, it has to be like, you have to be like almost like inaccessible in a way. Like I can't think that I could be you for, for like in that sense. Like we don't think we could be Moshe. Right. Emotions like the teacher. There's a degree of separation. There, there. The, right. And and we're gonna find that that was that uh was that for them the best modest I meaning it was because he was their he was their leader, he was their teacher, he was their he was their king, he was their everything for, for the whole time they're gonna they're gonna be in the desert. But but it's interesting if our view of leadership would change would change and could it change could we get past the familiarity because this is my own two cents you absolutely do not have to you know take what i'm saying right now but the more removed a leader is from us in a way the less we can learn from them if i can't see myself in this like that then then i can't you know then i can't what i have to learn from you in a certain way some things I could learn, but some things I can't learn. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting conversation. And um, so they see that Moshe doesn't come down, and the people all come to Aaron, and they say to make to make a, to make a replacement for Moshe. They're not making a replacement for God. They're looking to make a replacement for Moshe. Um, and what does Aaron say? What does Aaron say to them in Pasuk Bays in verse two? What does Aaron say to them, Emily? Chapter 32, verse 2. Okay, anybody have it? Go, Sarah. Aaron said to them, Remove the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, sons, and daughters, and bring them to you. And then what actually happens? The entire people removed the gold rings that were in their ears and brought them to you. Okay, so Aaron Aaron understands, understands something here. He knows Moshe's coming back. He knows the people are off by a not by not a long time. They need to get through one more night, and then we're going to have day. And in, in Hasidus is going to be very very significant. We need to get through the dark, and then we're going to have the light. Okay, Arnos, he needs to stall them. So what does he do? He says, "Bring the jewelry from who? From your wives and from your children." So Rashi says because uh, because the women like their jewelry, and they're not going to give up their jewelry. Hasidus explains that the women are always on the God team. Whenever we have situations in the desert and there's like the God team or the other, the women are always on the God team. When it comes time for the spies, all the men say, no, 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 no. We're not going to land in Israel. What do the women say? We're on God. Like, we're on, like we can do this, right? And that's where you have the, 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 the decree only ends up on the men. Because the women were like, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. 
this. So when so says by asking the women for their jewelry, they were like, like who's is it? Who who's who wants this? Who's asking for this? It's not a god thing. We're not in it. And 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 the and and, and the sorry, Sukkim actually played that out. They 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 didn't want to waste the time getting it from their wives, so they ended up taking their own jewelry. And this is what they're going to end up taking. They're going to bring it. And he, oh, so the women know that it's not for God. Everybody knows, like they're do it's it. This is a a this is um what's it called a grounds root a ground no. What that grassroots, a grassroots, uh, it's a grassroots uh, movement over here. This is not a top, top down. This is the people coming and saying, we need to do this. We need to have this. Um, they didn't. They didn't. Mo, Aaron says, ask your wives for the jewelry. Right? Now look at, exactly. So the next, so the, so the next thing is that the men didn't get it from their wives. They took it their own. They all had lots of jewelry. So they don't give it, the, they, the women don't give it. The entire people is, is the people who are asking to make the calf. I think it's, I think it's the people who, who no, it's the people who were asking to make the calf. There's, 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 there's a, there's a groundswell of noise and of, of fear and confusion. And, and, you know, the, you have the instigators, you have the people who are, you know, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. And, and like when the tumult starts, like it starts to spread, chaos spreads. Um, and and we're going to find, you know, the Medrash fills this in like in such a, right? The people take all, they take, Aaron takes all the gold that the people had. And he's like, he wants to do all of, you see, it's all talk, it talks about in singular that Aaron takes it. Aaron is going to do this because Aaron says that he wants to be like the, Losing the word, like a lightning rod for the for the punishment, you know. If anything's going to happen, they can all claim that they didn't know about. It. They didn't have anything to do. He's taking it for them. He's going to be. So that's what Aaron's 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 doing. Two things. He's trying to slow it down. He's trying to slow it down. Yeah. So a. He's going to do it by himself. So me myself, how much could one person do? So it's going to the work will be slower and also okay it's so the role of the not not in that you like he's almost like taking like the shadow side of it but like really what the protect does is it he's the one he's the one that goes into the college he's the one that does all these things on behalf of the people right he's like the channel for forgiveness but in this instance he's kind of he's he's holding it he's holding it he's holding for the other way he's he's holding for the other way um and no, it's like it's the same role, but like you the reverse side. Exactly. The reverse side. Question. Yes. Yeah, just going back. Go. You you had said that um you know they weren't asking for a replacement for God, they were looking for a replacement for Moshe. And I don't know exactly how this translates in the Hebrew, but in the English it says, rise up, make it for us gods that we will go before us. And uh, because this man Moses who brought us up from land in Egypt, we do not know what right. So so they so I want to I want to get a little bit of the story then I because here's the question: What happens when something starts here? For whatever, possibly a lot of the commentators talk about. There's a lot of good intention going on here, and then you know how it escalates really quickly, and all of a sudden you have a balagan on your hand. That's essentially what's going to happen. Whether or not there's a whole conversation: Were the people kind of addicted to idol worship because we know they leave Egypt and they were 
the, the measures tell us that they were idol worshipers. And that, so therefore, revelation at Sinai was the exception, like this God coming, we're going to accept God as our God, is the exception to the rule. And really, at heart, they're idol worshipers waiting for the excuse to like, you know, uh, go, back. go back, right? So they had all these journeys didn't have so many journeys. Forty nine days. It wasn't. Yeah, so that was like, it like correct, 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 correct. So correct, correct. They're doing. They are doing. But then the question. So, so the, this is the they question. No, the, no, no. I'm saying the question that said that the sages are going to are going to grapple with is: Was this like a boom explosion? Where did that come from? Or it was an addiction that now got fed and exploded again. Like. They this was their reality, then this incredible thing happens, but it doesn't fit into their reality because they had these years of reality. Possibly, well, possibly, also like in a bit of an idolatrous way, also meaning that they they're like they it's I don't know, it's, it's a question I'm thinking out loud, but I'm like, is it like that they're like this is how they relate to spirituality? Period. So here's the Moshe, and now I'm like relating almost like to Hashem and then. Idolatrous. So okay, so so okay, so so let me give you. An, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you. A, I'm gonna give it different words. Okay, they do not know what normal looks like. They have not had a normal moment in the last year and a half. The plagues. That's not normal. That's not like growing into a relationship. That's like boom overload miracles you know, crazy miracles. And then you split the sea and then you have revelation. They don't know what normal looks like. They don't know what non-miraculous life looks like. They woke up the morning that they had, they got, they're going to make this, this golden calf and they ate mana for breakfast. Right. <laughs> they like all of this, all of this. Correct, because they were slaves. slaves correct, correct, correct. So they have the slave, but I'm saying even in their relationship with Hashem, it's not, you know, we were talking about this last week about what is uh, what is the motto of the Jewish people. And we're talking about consistency and stability, right? We spoke about that a little bit last week. We spoke about that last week, right? Here, they don't have that. They have like miracles, amazing miracles they don't know how to relate to Hashem on any kind of you know I'm gonna go be a doctor lawyer business person architect dancer right they don't have to, they don't know how to integrate those relationships they only have know how to have a relationship with Hashem on like spiritual high miracle 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 so the the conversation of as soon as it's not exactly, they do not have the bandwidth to deal with it. They just don't know how to deal with it. They, they What's going to actually happen is that in the 40 years in the desert, their children are going to learn how to have a normal relationship. And then their children, well, not in the desert, actually, but the children are going to learn that the normal is what's really important. And that's going to take them into the land of Israel. Because in the land of Israel, you don't have mana falling down from heaven. You have to fight your own wars. You have to plant your own food. You have to take care of yourself and have a relationship with Hashem. That's the, that's, these are the lives that we live today. We don't see miracles, you know, out of the wazoo on a regular basis here. We just like, we live life and we, we're lucky when we see, you know, and we see how the hand of Hashem impacting our life. We don't like, our world isn't 
overturned on a regular basis like theirs was. And as soon as they don't have that more, 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 they're like, ah, how are we going to do this? How are we going to manage? How are we going to manage? And, and, and so that, so there, that is really where they're coming from, from that place of like, oh my gosh, we don't know how to manage. The measure says a, a crazy thing. Medrash says that the night before they leave Egypt, when the Jewish people were going and you know, borrowing gold and silver from their, from their neighbors, uh, Moshe went to go find Yosef. Remember, we had this, pro- this promise. We need to take Yosef, the bones of Yosef, with us when we leave Egypt. The Egyptians knew that, so they bury the bones deep in, 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 a, in a river. And how does Moshe get the bones? Anybody remember? Sorry, sorry. Right? He takes a, a piece of... I'm going to guess papyrus and not paper because they had one and they didn't have the other. And he wrote on it, a lay shore, a rise ox. And because the symbol of Yosef from the blessings of Yaakov was an ox, he writes Hashem's name on it. He throws it into the river. And guess what? Measure says the coffin uh, lifts up. He takes, he takes Yosef. He takes the bones of Yosef. And he was, he had somebody with him. And a little boy, the measure said, was maybe probably wasn't a little boy at that point. His name was Micha. And Micha takes this piece of paper and sticks it in his pocket. Micha is one of the children that, that Moshe saved from when the Egyptians were this, this is the whole measure. This is all the measures. So you can't make measures up. Is the measures? Is it the measures? Okay. And the and who is Micha? Micha was one of the children when they were when they were short the count of, of bricks. They would take the children and they would use them as bricks. And Moshe's like, this is terrible. Hashem, this is, how could this happen? And he saved one of the children. And this is this Micha who's going to end up growing up and not being, and not being a great, not being such a great person, but I'm not, not excusing me. Anyway, Micha takes this paper and when they have the gold somehow melting, he throws this paper into the melted gold. And guess what happens? A shore, a calf comes up. And the Medrash tells us that it was alive. It was breathing, it was moving, and it was huge. It was huge. There was like a hundred kikar of, of, of gold in there. The Medrash has a whole count of how much. It was huge, and it was alive. Now, wouldn't that prove the point that this was really something that Hashem wanted? And remember, we know this from last week's, the last week's Torah portions, but there is one place where we do have images in Jewish, in Jewish uh Besides the Merkava, where do we have actual images in Judaism? In the Mishkan, in the house of God. What do we have on top of the ark? Cherubs. We have cherubs and we're going to find out that Hashem is going to speak to the people through the cherubs. Hashem speaks to Moshe through the Kruvim. That is the medium. It's not so far-fetched to say we need a medium to connect to Hashem. It's not so far-fetched. They, whether they do know about the Merkava, they don't know about the Merkava, that the chariot that Hashem rides on. It's not so far-fetched, except for the fact that Hashem said, you're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to make an image. There's, there's a, a biblical prohibition against making a graven image. And we know that in the base on Mikdash and in the Mishkan, all bets are off. Like things are different in the Mishkan. So that Hashem's like, you're not allowed to make graven images. But here, it's a mitzvah to have a graven image. In the Mishkan, it's a mitzvah to have the two Kruvim. What you're doing, no, it's not. So back to the back to the conversation for a second. However it starts, if it's going to start from a place of panic, if it's going to start from a place of we need a 
a form to connect us to Hashem, it is going to very quickly devolve into idolatry. It's going to devolve into absolute idolatry. Our Aaron says, we'll build an altar, we'll serve Hashem tomorrow. He knows that in the morning, Moshe's going to be back. And when Moshe comes back, we're going to have a chagiga, a chaglashem achar. It's going to be a holiday for Hashem when Moshe comes back. If we can pull this off, and what happens is the people wake up early and they start their celebrations and their orgies and they're all the craziness beforehand. I want to say something very, very important. When we look at the punishment, we look at how many people are going to come. I'm going to get back to the motion in a second. But when we, we look at, we see that 3,000 people are going to be killed for actually serving idols. Now we say 30,000 people. That's like a lot of people. But how? But 3,000 people out of how many Jewish people were there? There were 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60. If you extrapolate who were the older, younger, the women, they get to a number of easily 2 million people. That means the people that actually serve the golden calf are a really little percentage of the people. And yet, and yet, we, the Jewish people, do not have a sin that does not have a trace of punishment for golden calf that we do for history, for history. And we could say, but why? We, 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 most of us did nothing. Most of us were not involved. Most of us were the silent majority. We did nothing about it. What do we know about the silent majority? The silent majority is what lets evil happen. So one of the things that the Medrash tells us is that when Aaron, when they come to Aaron, and the, and the Medrash says, how did Aaron get involved with this at all? So he saw that they had gone to Hor first. Aaron and Hor were left in charge. They go to Hor and they say, you need to make something for us. And he's like, are you out of your mind? My words, not his. And they killed Hor. He wasn't going to go their way. So they killed Hor. And so Aaron sees this is a mob out of control. I'm going to try to slow them down. Could you imagine had the silent majority come and stood behind Aaron? When he said, no, no, no. Could you imagine when Chor said, guys, go back to your tent, relax, calm down. Everything's going to be okay tomorrow. If thousands of people would have stood with Aaron and with Chor, it would never have happened. But because everybody was so busy with their own and their own lives and their own thing. And it's not my problem. It's not my people. My kids are all in my tent with me. I don't have to worry about it. It's just some hooligans on the side. But because everybody was silent, the worst, the worst debacle in history goes down because people didn't get involved. And I think like, there's a lot to learn from the golden calf. There's a lot going on. But I think that one of the things that we have to walk away with, it wasn't that the most people served this idol. They really didn't. But most of them didn't care enough to get involved. And I feel like for us, that, that question of where do we, where do we, where does our silence give somebody else power that they shouldn't have? And, sh and, and are we brave enough to speak up? I think that's a really, really major, major thing. It's not easy. It's, it's not easy to speak up and be unpopular. Um, and you see, Hor tried it and they just killed him. And, and, and what would have happened? How would the story have ended differently if people
here, you know, I guess that's the, the, the positive side of chasing, you know, when you hear an ambulance, I don't know, but how much different would the story have ended up if, if they would have, if they would have stood with Aaron and with Hor, it would have been a whole different conversation. And, and, and a lot of the commentators talk about the fact that that is why, that that is why uh, it becomes our sin. It's not, it's not their sin, it's our sin. And we all, we all have part of it because well, of before that, right? When we're about to get the Torah, we'll, we're called that we're like, we're like, we're all one. So it's like, it's tense to read them, right? If you're, you do something, if you slap someone with your hand, you don't say that it was a hand that slapped them. Like it's all of us, correct. But I'm saying that, that the, you could, one could say, first of all, the Mahershim do talk about the fact that it was, it was an anomaly that the people were all united. But I think like the place of, the place of, seeing something happen and saying, you know, what, it's not my business, it's not my space, it's, you know, who am I to judge their culture, all those things become, um, become, become, uh, you know, become relevant, okay, okay, um, what happens the next morning, the, you know, Aaron is, sorry, Moshe's coming down, Moshe's coming down the mountain, okay, I have to say, this is one of my all-time favorite so in, in all of so much, I have a few. Here's one of my favorites. It's chapter 32, verse 7. Okay, so the people are, are down there. They get up and they're doing the whole thing. And Hashem says to Moshe, amcha. Go down because your nation is sinning. I quote that to my husband often. <laughs> your children are my children? All of a sudden, they're my children? Like, they're my children. What happened to uh, our children? Your like all of them. They're my children. Um, what if they want to replace Moshe and they think of Moshe as the leader? Then it's such a question to say, "Oh, they think you're the leader." So no, they're ne- no, no. They were ne- yes. I hear that. They were never saying we don't want God. They wanted Moshe to be like an intermediary between them and Hashem. Which is an interesting thing because in in Torah we talk about there there is no such thing. We don't want intermediaries. There are no intermediaries between us and God. So no, so so I, what? So I want to say there's two kinds of possible intermediaries. Intermediary number one, which we 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 don't go to, is a, a, a it's it's a it's an intermediary. That that shemafsik. There's one that stops. There's like, I stop the flow. I you come to me, and I stop the flow, and then I have to be. I am the intermediary like that. Moshe is a mamutza hamachaber. He's like, you know, like when you have uh, something that's too, you need somebody to pull the pieces together. So it's not about me. I'm able to connect. I'm able to make the connection. That's called a mamutza hamachaber. It's an intermediary that connects. It's not about it's not about Moshe. It's not about a Moshe culture. It's not about Moshe worship. It's not about that at all. It's about Moshe connecting them, being so transparent in his connecting them to Hashem. It's not about Moshe. It's about helping the people connect to Hashem. So, so you're right. Like they are. You know, you could say. They're your people because they look they're looking to replace you, Mo. You, you might want to go down and protect your job. But but the bigger question that's going on over here then starts to he, he Hashem already says that you know these are your people, I'm not involved. And he says, Leave me alone. Hashem says, Leave me alone, and just 
and, and Moshe's like, I, I didn't even start anything. I didn't say anything. So I said, Moshe starts to, to daven and t- starts to help the Jewish people to daven for them. And, and the, such a powerful thing. What is Moshe's most powerful argument? Hashem's like, we're going to just scrap this whole situation. We're going to start all over again. Moshe's like, we're not doing that. And what is Moshe's most powerful argument to Hashem? Why not to, ju- why, this is not a correct English sentence, why he should not destroy the Jewish people? In verse 12, why does he say? Verse 12? Huh? Chapter 32, verse 12. 32. They're going to say that you took them out of Egypt. Who? Egypt. What are the Egyptians going to say? What are the Egyptians going to say, right? What are the Egyptians going to say? You couldn't take care of the Jewish people, so you just killed them in the desert, you know? And that actually becomes his winning argument. His winning argument is what are the Egyptians going to say? Um, and, and then what's going to happen? Hashem, I remember, I remember anyway, and then Hashem, then Moshe then goes down. He has the tablets in his hand. And, you know, we have this, you know, this image from the movies of like, like that. That's not actually what happens. The the huh? The Medrash describes that he's holding the, they're very heavy. The tablets were actually very, very heavy. And the, the tablets are described as a living thing. Now we know that the difference between a living person and a person who's not alive, it says, themselves. They carry themselves. You know, when you carry a living person alive. And so what happens is Moses at the top of the mountain, they hear the noise. And the Medrash describes that the letters flew back to Hashem. The, le- the letters left. The life left the tablets. And what is Moshe left he- holding? Two heavy stones. And they fell. And they, yes, he broke them. He, he, I'm not saying, you know, maybe he could have, but he ends up held, holding onto this dead weight and it falls down and it shatters. And Yoshu's at the bottom of the mountain has no idea what's flying. He's like, oh, it sounds like joy or war. And Moshe's like, no, 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 that does not sound good. That is not good noise that we're hearing from the thing. And we know, and here's an interesting thing. What do they do with all those pieces of the dead luchas? They keep them. They keep it. They hold on to the places of the broken luchas. They hold on to it. It's going to end up being in the ark with the whole luchas. The place of, the place of brokenness leads to the place of wholeness. Right. It's it's Moshe allows for this whole first tablets, second tablet situation allows for that place of tshuva, for that place of us to say we made a terrible, terrible mistake, but we can fix it. We will fix it. And when we fix it, our point of connection is even stronger than it would have been had we never had this separation. Right. The, the, the Hasidus talks about it, and the Gemara talks about it, they talk about, they use the same analogy in many places, that when a rope rips, when you retie it, the place of the tie is much stronger than the actual rope itself, because it's been doubled and tripled to, to hold on to it. So the, 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 it's actually the break that creates that place of connection, um, which is going to be, you know, that's, those are those are some we we could I want to talk about something else. So I don't want to continue with the golden calves. I just think we have enough little bits of food for thought for us on the golden calf situation. Um, I think it's it's like it's such a hard thing to wrap your head around. 
you know, like, how do you, how do you go from there to there so quickly? Um, how do you, how do you forget, you know, your, your mission statement so quickly? It's, it's kind of, you know, whatever, kind of scary. Um, not totally unheard of. I think it happens to us all the time. We get derailed kind of easily, but this is a, this was a, yeah. So this is like really, it's not the longest story in the, in the Parsha, but it's a big story in the Parsha. Um, and that was, this is the golden calf. And we're going to end up afterwards having, getting a second set of Luchos. Moshe is going to actually, this one, the second set of Luchos, Moshe is going to have to bring the stones up. Hashem's going to inscribe them. Um, and I don't know what the first stones were made of, because the first stones God provided. So those were like... So I'm saying the so that's the second that's the second luchas. the first luchas Hashem provides Hashem provides the first stones there it's some kind of heavenly it's going to be a real stone or something but it's going to be from Hashem the second one the second one that Moshe is going to have to carve Hashem says that in your tent there is a sapphire quarry I don't know how you, you know, Hashgacha practices ended on top of that. And he had to dig down and bring those stones up with him when he goes for the second time. He brings big, big chunks of sapphire and, um, and Hashem's going to engrave on them. Okay. Uh, we're not going to talk about the Luchas right now. I want to talk about something else because we have a nice amount of time. I want to go to the beginning of, yes. Well, I heard once in the that if Moshe had to on the car right and then they were like some kind of precious stone and then like, everything that you carved out of them you can collect them from the second the so second, second from the first from the first from sorry the second set of stones Moshe had to make the stones they don't come out of the earth perfect blocks so you're right all of the stuff all the stone that comes off of the sapphire the measures tells that Moshe becomes rich from that um which is an interesting kind of it, no besides the side note you're like like what, what do you need money in the desert for <laughs> right it's like there's it's not like we're buying from Amazon like what do you but he didn't but he did it. Like right. He's not going to get it to Israel to spend it. It's, it's, it's an interesting conversation. And I don't know what the answer to the question of the need to have Moshe be rich. Because it definitely wasn't his personal need. It wasn't his like, oh, man. This is, you know, the measure says that everybody was busy collecting wealth from Egypt um, that night. And he went to go get the bones of Yosef. And so he gets the wealth from the, from the sapphire around the stone. It's not like Moshe's like, man, I missed an opportunity. Like that definitely wasn't the conversation. So I don't know what the answer to the question of why does Moshe have to become rich. And it's me, David and David guy and this whole thing when he like gets attacked and he's like, I personally don't care, but I'm the king. There's this moment in David David Amel's life where he's like about to be like being attacked. He's kind of like the kingship is insulted. So he's like, and a king is and a king. On a level, I don't care. But a king is a king is not a king a king is not allowed a king is not allowed to forgive his honor. He's, you can't insult the king and get away with it. Um, it could be because Moshe has a status as a king. It's an interesting thing. You could also say, like, just like when the Jewish people, when they took the wealth from Egypt, they weren't just taking wealth; they were taking sparks of holiness. And then, yeah, Moshe for sure wants 
you know, those things that, that definitely would be, you know, a wealth that he would want. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know for sure. I, those are the pieces. Those are the pieces of the puzzle that we do know. Those are the pieces of the puzzle that I don't know. Um, the other thing that I want to, I want to, for a second, the beginning of our Parsha talks about Shkullam. It talks about the half a shekel that the Jewish people had to give. We will also be reading this section of the Torah, these uh, maybe 20 verses, next week. Okay, we're going to talk about it next week. There's, it's called Parsha Shkullam, the week before uh, Rosh, before Rosh Chodesh Adar, we read uh, about the half a shekel. The half shekel was given multiple times. In the desert, it was given twice, which we spoke about. And it was also given every year in the, in the Mishkan times, in the, sorry, in Mishkan and Besamekish times to buy uh, communal sacrifices, okay? So here we have the conversation about the, about the half shekel. And I want to talk about it for two minutes because that's about how much time we have right now. First of all, um, Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, "Kisisa es rosh when you, when you, it's really when you're going to count. It's when you count, but the but tisa means to, to uplift, to raise them up. Okay, to raise up the people. Um, when you count them, you are in fact uplifting them as well. Okay, um, and one of the things that I want to talk about for a second is this. It's a funny name for the parsha." that also has the golden calf in it. If we're talking about uplifting the people, we're talking about uplifting the people, and then we also have the golden calf in this Parsha, how does, this, how does that uplifting place refer to everything in the Parsha? Because the name of the Parsha has to kind of reflect the whole Parsha. <laughs> um, so we're gonna get to that in a second. Um, but but it, one of the things that's very interesting about it is Hashem says to give, uh, he should, everybody should give um, a kofar nafsho, an atonement for your soul, give a half shekel coin and give an atonement for your soul. And, um, and then, they won't, then, then there won't be any plague when you count them. And what's interesting, a couple of interesting things. First of all, um, uh, it says to give a half a shekel but a whole shekel is 20 gera. So how much is a half a shekel? 10. And 10 is a whole number. And half a shekel is not a whole number. Right? Generally speaking, wouldn't it make sense that we give things and give it in the whole version of the number? Tell us to give 10 gera. Tell us to, you know, why, why, why is the emphasis on the half of a shekel, half a shekel? And everybody the different commentaries and Hasidists talk about the idea that each of us are only a half. Even if we are 10 and we bring all the faculties of our soul, our emotional and and our intellectual uh, uh, faculties, we, we do it to the best of our ability, which we have to, because it's 10, it's a full 10, a half a shekel is a full 10. That means my mind and heart and emotions all like working in sync, but I'm not whole by myself. I'm only whole with another person. I'm only whole with two people together can become whole. One person by themselves is not going to be whole. Um, whether you talk about in marriage or in life, you know, we always say, I can do this by myself. It will be easier and it will be better if you will do this with another person. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of that conversation going on. But there's another thing that I, that I want to kind of highlight for a second that um, 
the Gemara says that Moshe had a very hard time with this. He didn't understand how does this work. And it says that Hashem showed him a fiery half shekel. He showed him the coin, a fiery half shekel, and Moshe got it. So clearly it wasn't that he didn't know what the coin looked like because Moshe would know what the coin looked like, right? So what is Moshe not getting? What is Moshe not getting that being shown a fiery coin answers the question? Got it? Got my question? Right? Huh? No, 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 no. So the question, Hashem says every Jew should give a half shekel as an atonement for their soul. Moshe's like, I don't get it. Hashem says, fiery coin. He's, he's like, I got it. So the question is, what bothered Moshe? And how does the fiery coin answer the question? Okay, so if we were to, if we were to put two things that are diametrically opposed, we would have to say that money, our half shekel, and our soul do not go together. How does, how does, um, I don't know, you have to do it. How does money atone for the soul? Soul is spiritual, going up. Money, all the, the gold, it gets mined from the earth. It is as low as it could possibly be. It is as physical as it could possibly be. Moshe's like, how does that atone for your soul? How do you take a little half shekel and atone for your soul? How does that, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't work together in any shape, way, or form. How does that happen? How does, you know, here, it feels like, you know, like, like, uh, like, you know, Lahavda, like in, in, in the middle ages, like, you know, just pay off, pay off your, uh, your sins and, and you're, you're free to go and, and give it a big money, give it a big, big amount of money. It's a little tiny half shekel. And when Hashem shows him the fiery part of it, he shows the fiery coin. It's not that he didn't know what the coin looked like, but what Hashem was showing him is that when you give even a little bit, but you give it with fire, you give it with passion, you give it with upward direction, you take the money that you earned, which really is pulling this direction and add fire, which is pulling in that direction, take it and use it for something good, that's an atonement for the soul. That's the place to really be uplifted. The place is not, it's not just, oh, here's, here's the coin, you know, Take, take a half a shekel. Actually, it has to be given in one coin. You can't give it like little pieces. Here, take my coin and, and, I'm, and I'm off the hook. That's not what it is. Hashem's showing Moshe that when we can put the fire, when we can put the upward direction into whatever it is that we're doing, that is what is the atonement for the soul. And when we have the fire, it doesn't have to be a big, big, big thing. It doesn't have to be like a gazillion dollar donation. It has to be a half shekel given with fire and then we really are you know we're really clipped in and perhaps that's also in the conversation with the golden calf the golden calf isn't the part that uplifts us that's that that was like not not but the fact that we can do tshuva from that and can then be uplifted that is a very very powerful message and we wouldn't have it without the golden calf we wouldn't have that idea of tshuva without having such a such a crazy story. And so perhaps that's where it fits into the uplifting part, not the big mistake, 
but the fact that we're able to repair a big mistake and repair our relationship with Hashem. And that's kind of where we're going to, you know, be able to, to reconnect on a very deep level. So I want to give us all a bracha that we have the clarity to, to know where we are and we should know what we should be doing. And the biggest, one of the biggest challenges that the Jewish, that the Jewish people faced in the desert, that I think is still one of our fatal flaws is um, now the timing issue, you know, to be able to understand that Hashem has a timeline for what's going on. And part of the trust in Hashem is understanding that we have to do our part and we have to, I'm not saying not to do our Avaida. We all have to do our stuff for whatever we need to do, but to trust that there is a, there's a godly timeline that we need to tap into because that's when things work properly. When we can tap into his timeline, then we're able to hear that maybe my timeline is off. Maybe I didn't understand it. Maybe I need to pull a little bit more fit, more faith in Hashem in order to like be on his timeline. So I want to give us all a bracha for trust, for believing in Hashem, to understanding that there is really a plan and we should be blessed to be able to see it. We should be able to see it to fruition. And, and when we mess up, we should be able to come back to, come back to the source with Simcha. Amazing rest of the day.